Psalm 37, we're going to read the first eight verses. Listen, this is a psalm of David. He says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. And so today I want to speak to you about how you can reduce your stress. Have the stress level go down. And it's right here in this psalm. Do not fret. You know, one of the good things about growing older is that it's not all bad. Come on, man. I've spent this past week on vacation and uh, had, had a great time with my family down in Florida. Uh, you know what we did? You know what we did all week? Nothing. And eat, all right? Those two things, nothing and eat. You put them together, you got a great week, you know? And, and I was out there in the ocean trying my best to relax for 30 plus years. Angie's trying to been teaching me the fine art of relaxation. It's really difficult for me to relax, but I really worked hard and, and I broke some records this year. I actually stayed out on the beach for four hours straight. Most of the time was under the tent or I was out in the ocean bobbing, you know, with my head just above the water wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> I was the only cowboy on the beach, man. I love it. And, and I was contemplating as I was bobbing on the ocean. You know, getting old isn't all that bad. Come on, you old people. Getting old ain't that bad. Now, there are some bad things about it, but I'm not going to talk about those. It's not all bad. I mean, the older we grow, the more of God we get to know. The, the older we grow, the more of God we know and the more of life we get to see. And the older we grow, the greater becomes our wisdom. I love the name Pearl Buck. You, you kind of get a, a vision of this lady whose name was Pearl Buck. I, I love her life and her history. Uh, Pearl was born the daughter of missionaries to China. She lived most of her life in China, and then she began to write. She was the first uh, uh, Nobel, uh, women Nobel literature writer, a brilliant lady, but I love what she said when she was 80 years old. She said, I have reached an honorable position in life because I am old and no longer young. I am a far more useful person than I was 50 years ago, or 40 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 20, or even 10. I have learned so much since I was 70. Don't you love it? 
Isn't that great? And the same was true for David, king of Israel. David wrote music all of his life. He sang to his sheep while he was employed as a shepherd boy. He played his harp for King Saul just as a young man. But some of the best songs that David wrote, he wrote when he was an old man. Like Psalm 37. You say, well, how do we know that? How do we know that this was a song of a senior citizen? Well, he tells us. Right here in Psalm 37, verse 25. He said, I have been young and now I'm old. And he had learned some things through the years. He had learned some lessons, some secrets that could only been garnered through the accumulation of maturity. And so today we're going to learn from King David's wisdom. Are you ready for that? We're going to learn some really good stuff. And in fact, I have it, Cheryl, I have it kind of like as a math equation here with numbers. Are you ready for it? We're going to learn three words, ten lessons, and five promises. Now, you're doing the math. You're saying, dude, that's 18 things you're going to tell us. Really? 18? They're going to be fast, all right? So you listen quick because I'm going to talk fast. First, the three words. They are the very first three words of this psalm. And the interesting thing is he repeats these words three times in the first eight verses. What are the three words? Do not fret. Let's say those aloud together. One, two, three. Do not fret. Again, do not fret. One more time. Do not fret. That's a pretty cool little phrase, do not fret. Thing about it is, we don't use that word fret very often. However, it is a very interesting word in our English language. It comes from an old English word which means to devour, to eat, to gnaw into something. And you put it in the context of what David is saying. He is saying that fretting is allowing worry to devour you, to gnaw like a rat on your very heart and soul. Wow, that's pretty graphic. So if you're fretting, that's what's happening inside of you. It's like a little rat gnawing away at your heart and your soul. The Hebrew word that David actually used when he wrote this some 3,000 years ago had a very picturesque meaning as well. The Hebrew term for the word fret had at its root the meaning of something that is growing warm and then getting hotter and then blazing up. And if you put those two pictures together, you can think of worry as a rat inside your soul gnawing away at you. You can also picture it as Satan, as an arsonist, setting little blazes of distress inside your heart. That's what fretting is. So literally, King David is saying in Psalms 37, I have been young but now I'm old. I've seen a whole lot of stuff in life. I've suffered many burdens. I have learned many lessons. And based on a lifetime of experience, I have three words that I want to give you today that you need to etch in the memory bank of your heart. Three words. Here they are. Do not fret. Kill off the rats and put out the fires. Do not fret. And he says the reason in verse number 8 at the end, do not fret because it only causes harm. So those are the three words. You got them? 
Do not fret. You know what? If you're like me, you're saying to yourself right now, well, that's all well and good, preacher, but I can't help but worry. <laughs> I can't keep from worrying. You'd be better off to tell a river to run backwards than to tell me to stop worrying. <laughs> I know at least half of you <laughs> can agree with me right there. Are you a worrier? Do you fret? I think we all do at times, some of us more than others. Well, as we read through Psalms 37, David suggests that we overcome worry by displacing it with ten things. In other words, he's saying, instead of worry, do this. Instead of worry, try this. Instead of fretting, do this. Ten things we can do to displace worry in our life. So here are ten life lessons. Are you ready? Okay. I'm going to say them fast, so you're going to have to write them down really quick. Oh, you got your pen. Ready? Here we go. Number one, trust in the Lord. And these come directly from the Scripture, okay? So as I say them, you can look at them in your Bible. I'm reading out of the New King James. Here it is in verse 3. Literally, these words, trust in the Lord. You see, church, at its very essence, worry is failure to trust God with the problems that we have in life. It is a form of disbelief, and that is a very serious sin. That is the sin that kept the children of Israel out of the promised land for 40 years. Fear and faith can't abide in the same heart. And as the great preacher used to say, if you're worrying... You're not trusting. But if you're trusting, you're not worrying. That great preacher was me. <laughs> I said that 30 years ago in a sermon I wrote. And I believe it's true even to this day. Fear and faith are mutually exclusive. And that's what David is saying here. Do not fret. Trust in the Lord. It's the same thing that Jesus Christ told his disciples when he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So, instead of fretting, we are to trust in the Lord. Number two, it's found in verse three, do good. Do good. Instead of worrying, fretting, do good. In other words, when you are tempted to fret and worry, you need to divert yourself. Instead of sitting in your living room with the curtains drawn, wringing your hands, you need to throw open the windows you need to find something that needs to be done, and you need to get busy doing it. <laughs> you with me? And if you can't find anything to do, come, come over here. Come to 2825 Grinnell. We'll give you a list of good things you can go out and do. Did you know, no matter how bad you have it, somebody has it worse off than you do. You can always find somebody to help. People down the street from you need help. Find something good to do, and then do it. During the height of World War II, someone asked Winston Churchill if he worried because of the tremendous load that he was carrying on his shoulders. He said, worry? I'm too busy to worry. I don't have time to worry. <laughs> and I think that's what David is saying here. Instead of fretting and wringing your hands and worrying, just get busy, man. Do something good for somebody else. There is something very therapeutic when we help other people. 
So help somebody else, and in helping them, help yourself. Number three, found in verse number three, literally this says, dwell in the land. Dwell in the land. What does that mean? Well, I believe it means this. Don't panic, don't cave in, and don't run away. Let's put it in the context of what David was saying. God had given the children of Israel the land that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were possessing Canaan land, the land of Israel. Now, the enemies all around them wanted them to flee from the land. Native Palestinians wanted to take over that territory. And they were always trying to nibble at its sides and to set fires to burn out the Israelites. It's kind of strange in 3,000 years things haven't changed much, have they? Still happening in that same little piece of real estate. But David was saying here in Psalm 37, when, when you have enemies trying to drive you out of the land, you don't need to be in fear, you don't need to fret, you don't need to run away. What you need to do is just relax. <laughs> relax. Remember that God gave you this land. And that if you trust him and are obedient to him, he is going to protect you and preserve you. So don't panic. Dwell in the land. And church, I believe that has spiritual implications for us as well. Here is the spiritual application. We have an enemy of our soul who is trying to rob us of our peace of mind and peace of heart. He wants to eat away at our faith. And the devil wants to torch our joy. But the Lord expects us to dig in our heels, to dwell in the land. So don't let the devil chase you out of the place of God-given peace and joy that God has you in right now. Dig in your heels. You live in God's peace and God's joy. You dwell in the land. Wow. Number four. Instead of running, we need to feed on God's faithfulness. That's literally the words in verse 3. Feed on God's faithfulness. I think that's a wonderful phrase, don't you? Feed on God's faithfulness. But how do I do that? Well, I think that one way we can do that is just by grazing on the Scriptures. You just kind of graze on the Scripture. I'm not a horseman or a cattleman, but uh, some of you are. And that's what horses and cattle and livestock do. They graze, man. They're grazing all day. I told the first service, it reminds me of my sister. My sister's tiny. She's, she's real thin, real skinny. She, she never sits down and eats an entire meal. Uh, she just grazes. That's what we call it. She grazes. She'll pick up a cracker or pick up something. She you know, likes uh, uh, avocados, and she'll, she'll, she'll eat that, and she'll just eat little pieces of things here and there. I'm a grazer, but I eat big things all the time, you know. I'm just grazing it in, you know. She's just kind of picking, grazing. That's the way we are to be with the Word of God, daily grazing on God's Word, daily feeding on God's Word. If we're not reading it, we're thinking about it, we're memorizing it, we're hiding it in our heart so that when times of peril come, so that when worries come, we can have the reservoir of God's Word in our mind and heart and pull from it. We're feeding on God's Word, feeding on God's faithfulness. Number five, verse four. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. 
So displace worry by delighting yourself in the Lord. The tail end of that verse is the promise that goes along with it. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So you find your daily joy and fulfillment in him. Because when you find joy and fulfillment in him, you will discover that God is enough. God is what I need. God is all I need. In fact, each one of us were made with a God-sized vacuum in our heart that only he can fill. So that's what David is telling us here. Delight yourself in the Lord. Number six, verse five. Commit your way to the Lord. You commit your way to God's way. The Apostle Peter expressed the, the same thought when he told us, cast all your cares on him for he cares for us. So we can entrust ourselves to God's keeping and God's care. We commit the future and our feet to God. Number seven, he tells us again in verse 5b to trust in the Lord. Trust also in him. Now, he's going back to the very first one because what was number one? Trust in the Lord. That's the foundation of it all. The foundational statement in this whole passage of Scripture is don't fret, trust. Instead of worry, you trust. That was number one. Now he comes down two-thirds of the way through and says the same thing. Two-thirds of the way through, trust God. He's reminding us. Why? Because we're two-thirds of the way through this, and we need to be reminded. Now, had I been writing this and wanted to repeat that promise, I would have put it at number five, halfway through. But God knows that we don't need it halfway through. We need it two-thirds of the way through. Now, you think about it. I know this for certainty. It's been reaffirmed time and time again in my life. A couple of examples. When Callie went on the world race, they were gone for nine months. They allowed the parents to go and meet the, the kids six months into this thing. Two-thirds the way through. Now I'm thinking, well, why can't we go after three months? Why can't we go, you know, halfway through it? No, they wanted, they wanted the kids to be through two-thirds of it because why? They have done this with 200,000 young people. They know the tendencies. They know that they're okay halfway through. It's when you get two-thirds the way through that they hit a wall. And the kids need to see their parents. And the parents need to see their kids. And so that's when we went. J just another little illustration of this. Angie and I have spent hours and hours. Melissa, we have spent hours and hours at track meets. Melissa ran track for Northside, went on to run at the Arkansas at Razorbacks. And, and I love track meets, but I tell you what, they can be, oh, I don't know, tiresome. Because you sit for hours to watch your kid run less than a minute. You know what I'm saying? You just sit and sit and then get real excited, get amped and stoked, <laughs> and it's over, you know? But I, I learned a lot of things from track meets. One of the things is, if, if it's a young runner, a young kid, and they don't really know how to run the particular race, they can burn out too quick, man. And they can hit the Come on, they hit the wall. And usually they hit the wall about two-thirds through the race. So here we are, two-thirds through this list, and we started strong, trusting God, not fretting. But all of a sudden, two-thirds of the way through, we're faltering again. 
We're allowing the, the little rats to gnaw away. We're allowing the arsonist Satan to torch our joy. And so God reminds us two-thirds of the way through, trust in Him. When you hit the wall, turn to God, man. Trust in Him. Number eight, verse seven, rest in the Lord. Now, this is a wonderful word that is frequently repeated through the Bible. And it refers to the calm, composed, and confident spirit presented by those who know to entrust the affairs of their life to the eternal God himself. Jeremiah 6.16 says, Ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. In other words, by aligning your life according to the way of life prescribed in the word of God, you will develop a calm, composed and confident spirit. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we rest in the Lord. Number nine, verse seven, wait patiently for him. Much of our anxious striving involves timing. What do I mean by that? Well, God doesn't always act as quickly as we want him to. Does he? I mean, when we get into a, 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 a tight situation and, and there are things causing worry in our life, we want God to intervene immediately, don't we? But sometimes he doesn't, you know? And it's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't know the stress we're going through. Sometimes he just leaves us there and lets us go through it. Why? Because it's through the fire that our life is refined. It is through the tough times that we become stronger and learn perseverance. But God is still watching. God still knows. And His timing is impeccable. We may be impatient and we may be fretting, but God is just saying, Hey, wait on me, man. Wait on me. It's going to be okay. So wait patiently for Him. Then number 10, verse 8. Cease from anger... And forsake wrath. That's literally what it says in verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. In other words, in other words, listen to me. In other words, just calm down. Just calm down. Hold your horses. Cool your jets. Don't get overwrought. Don't get worked up so quickly. Just take a deep breath. Say an earnest prayer, trust God, and give God time to work. What a list, huh? Are you still out there? What a list, man. But, but perhaps you're saying to yourself, you know, that's great, preacher, but boy, that's hard to do. So sometimes I can hardly help getting worked up and overwrought. Sometimes I feel my life spinning out of control and I'm going into a panic. It's hard to just trust the Lord and do good and dwell in the land with a calm, composed, confident spirit. Because there's too much I need to be worrying about. <laughs> well, for those of us who feel that way, the psalmist devotes the rest of Psalms 37 to some promises. 
There are a bunch of them in there, but I'm going to limit it to just five. Five great promises that we can claim. The first one is in verse 11. It says, But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. In other words, if we do what this psalm tells us to do, the Lord promises to us abundant peace. The word abundant means more than enough. More than enough. In other words, the person who has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ will experience more than enough pardon for all sins. He will experience more than enough life, more than enough answers to prayer, more than enough grace, and according to Psalms 37 verse 11, more than enough inner peace for any situation that arises. Wow. I don't know about you, but I want that. I need that. I need the peace of God in my life. The second promise is in verse 23. It says, the steps of a good man, or we could interject, good woman, are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. So when we obey God's commandments in this psalm, we not only have abundant peace, but number two, we have ordered steps. In other words, we have assurance of God's guidance. Okay? Isn't that great? Get stoked about that. Come on, man. God's going to guide us. No horoscopes for us. We have no need of palm reading. We have no need of crystal balls or Ouija boards or psychic hotlines. <laughs> we don't need any of that junk. Because we know that our God has a plan for our lives. And we know that His plan is good, acceptable, and perfect. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Guys, let me tell you, I'm getting excited about this. Because instead of fretting, all I have to do is trust God. And if I'm trusting God and living according to Psalms 37, I'm going to have what the world doesn't have but they desperately want. That is an abundant peace in my life. And not only that, God is guiding my steps. The third promise is in verse 25. It's the promise of daily bread. I told the first service, I discovered this verse when I was just a little boy, maybe seven, eight, nine years old. I remember being in my bedroom, number four Keeneland Drive, Midland, Texas, and I was reading the Bible, and I found this verse, and I don't know, sometimes things just stick with you. You know what I'm saying? And this one verse has stuck in my head all of these years. David said, I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed, that is, their descendants, begging bread. And I can remember talking to my parents about that and talking to my Sunday school teacher, my Aunt Pat Cates, about that verse. And I discovered at a very young age what that meant, Kenan. It means something like this. If we will just trust God and depend upon God and live for God, God is going to take care of us. Just like Jesus said in his great prayer that we are to understand and pray daily, give us today our daily bread. 
And if we pray that in faith and believe it, we know God's going to take care of us. I've, I've never gone hungry in my life. God has given me, listen to me, God has given me much more than I deserve. I'm telling you, God has blessed me in ways I would have never imagined. And let me tell you, God's protected me. I've done some foolish things in my life, some dumb things. But through it all, God has protected me. He's taken care of me. Because at the very center of my heart, I want to live for him and honor him. And even though sometimes I stumble and do stupid things and make mistakes, my heart is pure in its desire to live for God. I've been young, and now I'm much older. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his seed begging bread. What a great promise. The fourth promise is in verse 39. It says, But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of struggle. This is the promise of timely strength. You know, the, the Lord doesn't promise to keep us from trouble. He does, however, promise to give us the strength that we need when we are in trouble. It's timely strength. I was reminded of the story of James Cash Penny. He came from a long line of Baptist preachers, and he grew up with deep convictions. He had an unswavering faith. He never smoked or drank. I, I was thinking of a little poem that went with that, and you don't want to hear it. I don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, nor do I go with girls who do. Think about it. That was my motto growing up in high school. Y'all need to loosen up out there, man. <laughs> he was also a hard worker. But in 1929, the Great Depression hit, and he was suddenly in a crisis. He had made some very unwise commitments, and those commitments turned sour, and he could not help but worry about them because he was a man of integrity. Soon he was unable to sleep at night. Along this same time, he, he developed a, a case of shingles, he was hospitalized. His anxiety continued to increase while he was in the hospital, and it seemed resistant to tranquilizers and drugs. His mental state deteriorated to the point where he said, I was broken, nervously and physically, filled with despair, unable to see a single ray of hope. I had nothing to live for. I felt I did not have a friend in this world, and I also believed that my own family had turned against me. One night, he was so oppressed that he didn't think his heart was going to hold out to the next day. And so he got up, and with pen and paper, he wrote farewell letters to his wife and sons. But you know what? He did make it through the night. And the next morning, he awoke to hearing singing down the hall from his hospital room and so he made it to the hallway and down the hall to the little chapel in the hospital and there they were singing a hymn be not dismayed whate'er betide God will take care of you and that song drew Penny into the room he sat 
on the back pew and he listened to the songs. He listened to the scripture. He heard the prayers being prayed. And suddenly he said, something happened in my soul. I can't explain it. I can only call it a miracle. I felt as if I had been instantly lifted out of the darkness of a dungeon into a warm, brilliant light. And God healed me. All worry left him. And he realized more fully than he had ever experienced or imagined in life how much Jesus Christ loved him and cared for him. And from that day forward, J.C. Penney never was plagued with worry again. <laughs> he called those moments in the chapel the most dramatic and glorious 20 minutes of my life. And when he died at the age of 95, he left behind 1,660 department stores that bore his name. God gave Mr. Penny timely strength. And he'll do it for you. The fifth promise is found in verses 39 and 40. It is eternal salvation. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. There it is again. They trust in Him. You know what? Without Jesus Christ, we have reason to worry. Without Jesus Christ, we should be fretting. Without Jesus Christ, we have no hope, no future, no forgiveness, no eternal life. But when we come to the cross of Calvary, where Jesus died for us, when we ask Him for forgiveness based on the shed blood of our Savior, when we pray to Him, asking Him to become our Lord and Savior, then He saves us and He sets us free. And listen to me, he gives us what the world is longing for. He gives us what the world is trying to get but they can't obtain. He gives us peace. That's it, man. That's what people are looking for. Peace. It only comes from God. Listen to what Paul said in the book of Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way you can experience the peace of God is having peace with God. And the only way you can have peace with God is stop fighting God and accept His gift of salvation. And then everything changes. Sure, there are going to be things that happen in your life that, that you know the old you would worry about and fret about, but the new you is not going to do. Why? Because you're trusting God. You're doing good. You're dwelling in the land. You're feeding and grazing on His promises and His faithfulness. You've committed your ways to Him. You're not angry and ticked off and, and just looking for a fight all the time. Why? Because you're trusting God. You're trusting God. The only way you can have that is by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Friend, if you've never done that, man... Today can be the day your life can turn just like that. 
He can change you and set you free. So would you accept his gift? And then for the rest of us, man, listen, life is way too short to spend all your time worrying and fretting. You need to be enjoying it. And the only way you can do that is by trusting him. So right now, gather up all the junk that's causing you to worry and fret and bring it down here and give it to the Lord. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you.